Welcome to The Common Cleric, the show that uses common words to talk about uncommon things. I'm Jeremiah Wilson. This week's Sunday special features a sermon from Matthew chapter 21. May you find words of transformation and of mercy. I encourage you this morning to join me in your Bibles, uh, whatever form that may be, whether it be electronic or a physical Bible. Uh, I encourage you to join me in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 12, actually. Matthew 21, starting in verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethlehem, to Bethany and lodged there. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is. A little bit different of a passage than what we normally see on the uh, on Palm Sunday. Normally, we are reading verses 11, one through eleven of Matthew chapter one. Is we see the account of Jesus triumphantly entering into the city of Jerusalem, beginning his holy week there. We see uh, Jesus riding in and and the people praising Hosanna to. Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And they chant these praises as they lay down their cloaks and palm branches on the road for Jesus to enter into the city. And it's a this grand picture. It's this triumphal picture. And that's why in most uh, Bibles you have the, the section title of verses 1 through 11 being the triumphant entry. It's a very victorious image and a victorious picture. But when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's not doing so as a king who is about to uh, deliver the people of Israel from an oppressive Roman Empire. It's a different kind of victory. It's not a victory over oppression of human forces, but it's a victory of oppression over spiritual forces. It's a victory over oppression of our sin. And that is why Jesus triumphantly marches into Jerusalem that day. But this morning, I'm not looking at the triumphant entry passages of 1 through 11, but instead we're looking at verses 12 through 17, which is the passage where Jesus clears the temple. It's easy to gloss over this passage or or just end in in verse 11 and forget about 12 and 17. But our account of our passage today happens on the exact same day as the triumphal entry. After Jesus enters into Jerusalem in that triumphant, victorious way, he goes directly to the temple and he interrupts business as usual. And he does so, he he makes this demonstration to signify to all those who are present, to signify to all who are looking 
and seeing what happens. He's signifying the God's reign as his kingdom of heaven is established. It's a forceful and it's an abrupt entrance and it breaks up the business as usual that the people of Israel were so caught up in. As Jesus entered the temple that day, he saw what he would have seen every other time he entered the temple. This was not the first time Jesus had been in the temple. He was a Jew after all. So there was numerous times throughout the year that he would have been in the temple and he would have seen this exact scene before him. He would have seen the money changers. He would have seen those selling pigeons in the, in the courtyard there. But this time, something was different. This time, as the triumphant king of verses 1 through 11, he decided to show the people a different form of worship. He decided to show the people that the form of worship that they were doing was no longer acceptable to God. Jesus decided that it was now the time to throw out the old, to throw out the old system. The, the tried and the true system had now become tired and false. I want us to pay attention to the money changers and the, those who are selling pigeons in this passage because we can get locked in on those and, and, and see them in a lot of different lights. But the money changers and the, those who are selling pigeons were doing so because it was allowed. We see of the money changers in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, that there was a half shekel temple tax uh, that everybody who came to worship, everybody who came to offer a sacrifice had to bring this half shekel temple tax. And this tax was meant for the service of the tent of meeting. It helped keep, help fund the, the daily activities of everything that was going on in the temple. And so as worshipers and people who are bringing their sacrifices brought, came into Jerusalem, they had to exchange their current currency for the currency that was acceptable at the temple. And so in order to do so, they had to go see money changers. It's not, I mean, it's very common, uh, even for us, as we go to new, new areas of the world, we have to exchange our U.S. currency for whatever currency uh, that, that local population is using. That's exactly what's going on here. People were traveling from all over the place, and they were bringing their own currency because that was what they had. And they were coming to the temple and they had to exchange that currency in order to pay that tax, in order to pay uh, so that the, the temple could continue to operate. The other thing that we see is those, those pigeon sellers. Pigeons, according to uh, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7, was an acceptable form of sacrifice in the place of a lamb. Not everyone could afford a, a lamb. Lambs were expensive and so God recognized there needed to be other forms of sacrifice that would be acceptable. So in Leviticus chapter 5, he, he lays out that pigeons are acceptable for those who cannot afford lambs. And so when we see that there's pigeon sellers there within the, 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 the temple complex, they did this out of convenience. Most people were traveling days, if not weeks, to come to Jerusalem. It was going to be hard for them to herd different kinds of animals as well as carry the supplies that were needed to make the sacrifice with everything else that they were bringing with them, their families, all of their gear, all of their luggage. It would just be difficult to, to keep a, an animal healthy and acceptable during that journey. And so the, the priests got together uh, way before this passage, 
And they decided, look, this is an acceptable thing that we need to do. We need to allow people to buy their sacrifices here uh, because they're getting damaged along the way. They're no longer acceptable. They look uh, malnourished. Let's just have these opportunities here. And to an extent, it would still be a sacrifice for the people because they would have to give up that money uh, to buy. They would have to sacrifice that money to buy the, the doves or the pigeons or whatever it was that they were buying to sacrifice. And so these money changers and these, these pigeon sellers were started as good and helpful ideas. They were not something that was trying to circumnavigate the system that God had instilled with the people of Israel. And so Jesus was probably not upset with the merchant activity, as I said, because it was somewhat required by law, but rather he was upset with what was happening in that it might have been happening within the temple walls. He was upset that these merchants, uh, these sellers might have been taking advantage of the people. And we see this in his response there in, in verse 13 when he says, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. This phrase, den of robbers, comes from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, it's a, not a description of what was actually happening in the temple, but it's a description of how the worshipers were behaving in their daily lives. There in chapter 7 of Jeremiah, uh, he talks about how these worshipers were coming to God in the temple and proclaiming, we have been delivered, but then they were leaving and making no change to their life. They left the temple after proclaiming, we've been delivered and continued to steal. They continue to murder. They continue to commit adultery. They continue to worship other gods of the other areas around them. So what Jeremiah is saying in chapter 7 is that they've made it a den of robbers because they're stealing that deliverance from God. They're claiming that deliverance from God, but they're making no discernible change in their life that would signify that they've been truly delivered from what it is that they're proclaiming deliverance for, deliverance of. And so we see that Jesus is angry with what's going on. He's accusing them of making a den of robbers because they're misusing the temple grounds. They're using the temple for personal gains. There's a financial personal gain that was probably coming along with the, the, the money changers and the pigeon sellers. They might have been having an absorbent uh, exchange rate for the, 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 the money exchange or having an, a, a a cost that was above what the pigeons actually uh, were worth, and they were extorting money out of them potentially. But definitely what was happening when, on the misuse of the temple was a spiritual personal gain. The people, everybody that was there, everybody that was gathering was making themselves feel better in the midst of their sin. They were declaring as they went through the motions, we have been delivered, but there was no discernible change in their life. There was no change of deliverance amongst them. The temple was meant as a place of repentance. It was meant as a place to humble oneself before God, a, a place of crying out to God for help. But over time, it became a place of self-righteousness and self-pious activity. And when Jesus enters the temple on that on that uh, Palm Sunday afternoon after he's entered into the city, Jesus enters and rejects the entire system of sacrificial worship because it had been altered and changed and morphed and 
bent into something that it was not intended to be. It had become a parasite of the temple. As I said earlier, we often celebrate Palm Sunday as the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly. But we forget that on that very same day, Jesus cleared the temple. Today, I stand in an empty temple. Well, an empty church. Today, this Palm Sunday, the church has been cleared, you can say. And I have to ask, in light of everything that is going on, if Jesus was here today, would he be pleased with our system? When Jesus cleared the temple, he cleared the temple of, uh, of old ways that were no longer acceptable. As our church stands cleared, our church building stands cleared this morning, what, our, what are our ways that may no longer be acceptable to God? And I'm not talking about worship styles. I'm not even talking about liturgy. I'm not saying it's time to throw out hymns or to abandon contemporary worship styles. What I'm talking about is the way that we come to worship. The old way we have come to worship. You see, just like the people of Israel, we have become too merchant-like in our way of doing worship. Our faith has become very transactional. I come to church. I give to the church. I do what I'm supposed to. But then I continue to live the way that I want to live. I give to God what he wants and I receive my deliverance. But then I just get to keep doing what I want to do because come Sunday, I'm going to give what he wants again and I will get what I want again. We have to ask, we have to analyze during this time of of being cleared, do we behave in our daily lives in the same way that we behave when we worship? We say that we are a people of hope, but does the world see the hope that we proclaim? Do our Facebook posts or our different social media posts signify the hope that we have in Christ during this time of, of isolation and quarantine? Or do they just see us contributing to the doom and gloom and and blaming different people? When we come to worship, we say that we are a people of love, but does the world outside of these walls see that we are a people of love? Do we love in our everyday activities, our everyday actions, our everyday speech? Right now, we literally cannot be transactional in our worship. You can't We can't come to church. We can't just go through the motions of coming to church every week and offering our sacrifice and going on about our lives. In a way, right now, you have to be a lot more intentional than we've ever been. Normally, we would know if you did not come to church. We would would not see you and we would recognize that so-and-so was not here this morning. But right now, we have no idea. We have no idea if someone is not participating in our worship service right now. And so in order to be participating this morning, you have to be real intentional about joining in on the service, on, on the service. And so it's my hope that during this time of dispersion, it might serve as a reality check for us, that we might examine our old ways Jesus is here with us today. Wherever you find yourself, he is there with you. 
But once again, just as he triumphantly entered into Jerusalem and cleared his temple, he triumphantly enters into our life and he clears our life of the old ways. May he clear our lives of the transactional worship that we've been following for so long. May he work in you to throw out the ways of old and bring in the new. The passage this morning is not just about Jesus throwing out the old ways, but it's also about him establishing a new way. It's about him throwing out the old ways of worship and establishing a new worship. There in verse 13, when he says, uh, It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The phrase there, house of prayer, comes from Isaiah chapter 56. And in Isaiah 56, the whole phrase is a house of prayer for all nations. God was revealing to Isaiah that there will come a time when all will be set right. There will, be, there will come a time when all people of all the earth will be gathered together into the community of worship in God's temple as a house of prayer for all nations. God's temple was meant for all people. The people of Israel were meant to be a blessing to the nations, showing them the way to God, showing them that Yahweh was the one and true God, not the gods that they had previously served. And so as Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer, he's reminding the people who were gathered there of Isaiah 56. And this is important because all of this transpired in the court of the Gentiles. The, the little merchant area, if you will, was set up in the, the outermost port, uh, uh, court of the temple complex. It was, a, it was a large court where everyone could gather. And it was called the court of the Gentiles. And only Jews were allowed to go further into the temple complex. As you approach the doors to go further into the complex, there would be different plaques that would say something along the lines of only Jews are allowed to to continue, Gentiles must stay back. And so while God's house had been set up for a place, a house of prayer for all nations, here we see that there was only a certain type of people could truly worship and could truly encounter God. Everybody else had to stay back. And it's in this court. It's in the court of the Gentiles where everyone could gather, but only certain people could go further. It's in this system of exclusion that Jesus establishes a new era of worship. We see in verse 14 that, uh, and the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8, David had excluded the lame and the blind from the house. And this had been adapted to cover the temple period as well. And so the lame and the blind were excluded from even entering into the temple. And what we see here in verse 14 is Christ establishes his new rule, establishes this kingdom of heaven. We see the son of David, this triumphal king, this king who cast out the old and brings in the new. He welcomes them and he heals them in the temple. This is the only recorded healing of Jesus in the temple complex. And in doing so, Jesus is establishing a new era of worship. 
He's thrown out the old. He's thrown out the, the transactional style. He's thrown out the exclusion, uh, the style of worship that excludes people. And now he's instilling and establishing a new era of worship. A worship that includes, a worship that allows all people to experience and encounter God. And immediately after this, the children continued to shout the praises of that morning, Hosanna to the son of David. They continue to recognize this is the king. They continue to recognize this is the renewal that we've been looking forward to. This is the kingdom of God. Hosanna to the son of David is not just Hosanna to the son of David on the the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Hosanna to the son of David even happens in the temple as he's cleared out the old, brings in the new, and establishes what true worship really looks like. In the kingdom of God, God prefers mercy over sacrifice. Jesus himself has told his disciples this numerous times in the the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We see in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. God desires mercy because God is merciful. God faithfully keeps his promises and he maintains his covenant relationship with his people despite their unworthiness and their unfaithfulness. Doesn't matter what the people do, God is still going to pursue them. And that is the style, that is the the new era of worship that Jesus brings forth in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. He's establishing a new era of mercy, not sacrifice. As Jesus's first act of triumph, he establishes this new era of worship, this new era of love for all people. An era in which Jesus declares he has chosen all people for himself, where he pursues all people and maintains a covenant relationship with them. The new era of Christ brought forth, the the new era that Christ brought forth was that of mercy. Christ brought mercy to us, and so we have to live in light of that mercy. Our lives have been changed by God's mercy, and so it shouldn't be manifest in how we interact with others. We should be compassionate and forgive our offenders. We should be compassionate and forgive those who seek to destroy us. We should help one another. As I read about how the lame and the blind were excluded and pushed out of the temple worship, how the Gentiles were told you can only be over here, it really makes me wonder, who are those that we've pushed out of our church? Who are those that we've told you have to stay over there? Maybe it's been different family feuds and fights that we've had where brothers and sisters or moms and daughters, dads and sons have gotten into feuds. And so we've now separated. And this is my church. You go somewhere else. Maybe it's been broken friendships where friendships have fallen apart. and One friend chooses, I'm here. You go somewhere else. Maybe it's 
harbored ill will we have towards certain people or prejudices that we have towards certain people. And we say, this is our place. This is where I get to encounter God, but you have to go somewhere else. Jesus, when he cleared the temple, he did away with that exclusion. He abruptly and and forcefully pursued all people, signifying there in the court of the Gentiles, all are welcome, all can encounter this kingdom that I am now, or have now established. We need to have this era of mercy in our church. Even in this time of isolation where we're all quarantined from one another and interaction is different and odd, we have to maintain mercy. We have to work to maintain that covenant relationship with all people in spite of whatever they have done. We can't allow this time to just allow us to go, yay, I get to stay isolated. I don't have to talk to anybody. I'll see y'all when this is over. No, as a people who are in this new era of mercy that Christ has established, we continue to reach out. We continue to pursue others because he has pursued us. One of the ways that Cottondale does this is through the manor house. We pursue others in the midst of this need. One of the ways that we can do this is virtual community options. Whether it be FaceTime or Skype or Zoom or Google Meets, whatever method and and media you want to use, continue to meet together virtually. Continue to seek one another to pursue other people in this time. Because then we're giving works of mercy. We're, We're acting in this era of mercy that Christ established, where we're not isolated, but where we pursue. Living in an era of mercy means we conduct works of forgiveness. We reach out to those who we felt harmed by. We reach out to those who may have harmed us. And we forgive. Christ enters Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday and he establishes his rule over his kingdom. And that first act is to declare a new era of worship. An era of mercy over sacrifice. An era that he establishes through his own sacrifice. An era he establishes through his own act of mercy. This Palm Sunday, we see God's continued and relentless pursuit of humanity despite our unworthiness. May we continue to celebrate this new era. May we as a church see a new era emerge for us. An era of transformation and of mercy. The temple went back to normal after Jesus did this. The very next day, the money changers were back in operation. The pigeon sellers were back in operation because it was Passion Week, uh, uh, Passover week. They had to get back to normal. After all of this is over, will we go back to normal? Jesus has triumphantly entered into our lives and established a new kingdom. He's thrown out the old. Will we go back to normal or will we move forward in the new kingdom, in the new era that he has established? Amen. Thanks for listening to The Common Cleric. 
Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as you know, do the social media thing. Share this so your friends can have a conversation as well. Until next time.